Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to this Irish Tech Podcast. I'm here in Grand Thornton talking with Mike and Ben from Grand Thornton. And we're talking about their meetup group they do on cybersecurity and also about how they do cybersecurity with, for their clients. How's it going, Grace? How you doing? Great, thanks. Yourself, yeah, my name is Mike Harris. I lead the cybersecurity practice for Grand Thornton in Ireland. We've been up and running for the last four and a half or five years. Um, we help clients of all shapes and sizes across a wide variety of industries, and we'll talk about that again later. Um, get better at doing cybersecurity. Yeah, and no, I'm Ben Fletcher. I work for in Mike Harris's team, and I've only been in Grand Thornton for four months, so I. As, as Mike says, we, we go out there, we, uh, we look at companies, we understand their business, and we understand how to, how to protect them. So tell us about what kind of stuff you do. Yeah, so, so at a very, very high level, we do three things. Um, we help organizations understand the level of security that they've got in place. So yeah. whether that's at an organizational level or a technology level, is, there, is their website secure or not? Is the organization secure or not? Has the organization got the right security capability within itself to keep itself secure on an ongoing basis? Has it got the right people processing technology to defend itself against attack? Um, the second part is helping them get better at security. So it's everything from they might need to write a policy, they might need to deploy new security technology, they might need to train their people and get their people more aware of how to deal with and, and respond to cyber threats that they might might receive. And I think we'll probably talk about it, a little bit about that later. And then the final bit is we help organization when something organizations when something horrible happens. Yeah. So this is the response bit. And it's interesting because if you go back maybe, you know, I've been doing this almost 20 years, you go back 5, 10 years ago, the split was very much towards the assessment side with a little bit of the improvement side, which not not so much of the response side. Whereas now probably 30% of the business is helping organizations respond to cyber attacks. And, you know, that's that's troubling in itself yeah. um, for organizations in that the cyber attacks are happening. And they're happening all the time and they're happening to organizations of all shapes and sizes. And, that, and that, you know, the, the, the response bit is really interesting. So it's everything from having them understand from a technical perspective what happened. Yeah. So doing the IT forensics piece, having them shut down the problem they had, but all the helping them from an organizational perspective, so particularly larger organizations. Responding to a cyber attack can be a stressful thing. They may not have done it before. People don't necessarily do the right thing when, when they're under stress. They might even have the right people in the room yeah. trying to respond to, a, to an incident. And we help organizations through that. What about doing test drills with companies so they prepare for it happens for real? Yeah, no, and, and to be honest, in some industries that's regulatory mandated. Yeah. So if you're in financial services um, industry in Ireland, you are required by law to have to do that. Um, organizations of all shapes and size are now looking at that. And often they do it in a number of different ways. The first time you might do what's described as a desktop exercise. Yeah. So you get, a, you, get a, you get a number of the senior management team, ideally the most senior people in the organization, into a room and you step them through a scenario. So the, the scenario can, everything, can be everything from a simple crypto locker attack you know, to how you might respond to that. Yeah. But you might throw in something a little bit from coming from the sideways where the crypto locker is a variant that actually does data exfiltration and things like that. Mm-hmm. So actually there's data going out of the organization. So for most organizations, that brings it from being something that the IT department is quite comfortable dealing with to something that all of a sudden you need to have lawyers in the room, you need to have your risk people in the room, yeah. you need to have the CEO in the room, and you need, they need to step through the response. Um, so that's very much the type of thing we do in terms of, um, in, in terms of, I suppose, the cyber simulation. You can do a full, a full what's called a red teaming exercise, yeah. where we will, over an extended period of time, 
um, carry out what's uh, carry out a offensive attack in the organization. So we'll use all sorts of methods to see can we break in both from a physical security but also from a cyber security because often a lot of the issues and I'm actually going to talk about this later in my, yeah. in my talk is a lot of the issues you see in organizations are at that intersection between the cyber world and the physical world or the cyber world and the psychological world. So what's going on in something some some person's head and the decisions they make when they're interacting with their computer. Do I click on that email or not? Yeah. Do I open that attachment or not? Or simple that, you know, when you go into the organization, you can plug into the Ethernet cable in a meeting room that's semi-public. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're on their internal network. So organizations often miss those intersections between the physical world and the logical world and the yeah. psychological world. Um, and that's a challenge for, for many organizations. But the red teaming exercise is designed to be as realistic as possible. So what are the real threats facing an organization? So a lot of organizations do penetration testing. Mm -hmm. So they pay an organization like ourselves to spend a week trying to break in over the internet. That is interesting and can be valuable, but it's not particularly realistic. So the big difference between that exercise and what the actual criminals do is they have much more time to do it. Yeah. And they're often, they're often um, prepared to spend a lot more time to do it. They do it over a period of months. They do it more slowly. They gather a lot of information around the organization. There's research out there from an institute called the Ponyman Institute that estimates that from a first intrusion into a network to when the attack is actually carried out, there's a period of anything between you know, seven and nine months. Yeah. And it, based on our experience of doing its response, that's very often true. And I guess the top guys in business are always the weakest link because they're the guys who want probably tech savvy. Well, what's interesting, I, I think that's a very interesting point. There's two parts to that. One is, you know, who makes the investment decisions in the organization? Well, often they're not the people that understand things from a cybersecurity yeah. perspective. Now, in some, in some industries, the regulator takes that out of your hands. So you're working right. in financial services, there's central bank guidance on what you're supposed to do around cybersecurity, yeah. and they will make sure you do it. In other industries, there's very, you know, in the, you talk about utilities, there's um, European directives that you need to follow. So increasingly laws are being passed to make you do cybersecurity. But I suppose the challenge for senior people is, how do I know what's enough cybersecurity yeah. for my organization? How much should I be spending? You know, how do I know that, that, how do I know that my security staff, if I have any, actually know what they're doing and are doing the right things? So how do I know that? How do I get assurance around that? And that's something we, we, would, do quite, we would do quite a lot of piece. From a personal perspective, senior people are really interesting. They're more often than not victims of what are called you know, spear phishing. So when you have very targeted, either malware-based or social engineering-based attacks on, 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 on well-known individuals, because one, their details are publicly available. Two, they're a good mark. They, li they like yeah. to have money. And you know, cybercrime is not spotty teenagers sitting in their bedroom trying to hack into the Pentagon. Still a bit of that going on, but actually this is big business. Yeah. You know, you go back, why, why are there so many cyber breaches now? Because 10 years ago, cyber criminals worked out how to monetize cyber attacks. Yeah. And that's what it's all about now. And that's why they target senior people. And what they do is they target both the senior person, both from a personal perspective and from a corporate perspective. So they want to get access to that person's corporate account, mm -hmm. you know, get into their organization, bounce around, steal credit card information. But they're also interested in targeting that that individual from a personal perspective. So do they are they high net worth? Do they have a lot of money? Are they they buying a house, doing a large funds transfer? You know, can you um, can you do can you do an extortion attempt to get these individuals? And I, everybody will have seen you know everything from I've been watching what you did on your webcam, yeah. you know, and like random things on the internet. Unless you pay me a thousand euros, I'm going to tell everybody, including including your um, in, including your um, um, employees. 
or they come at it from, um, you know, we're going to move money out of your online banking, and they're increasingly targeting high net worth individuals because they can move money around. I had a friend who was hacked like that, and they wanted to say to them, they're going to, uh, we've got you uh, on webcam doing things, we're going to send videos and photographs. He goes, Absolutely. What? He said, fine, go ahead. Yeah. I, I don't care. He called their bluff. Yeah. And they didn't expect that. But more, more 90% of the time with those attacks, those attacks are random. Yeah. So they're actually just sending you the communication, and there's literally people sitting in call centers at the end of it. You know, at the at the end of it, a chat client that are responding back, and they haven't hacked you. They haven't done anything. Yeah. What they're doing is they're basically using the fact that people think this was good, and and there are some real ones, but there's also an ecosystem ones that aren't real at all. Yeah. You so know, so, so they'll yeah. also um, yeah. they'll also frighten the, the 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 victim by by showing them a username and password, yeah. Yeah. which is available on the dark web. Yeah. Yeah. So so first of all, it, it seems credible. And we've actually traced back the, the Bitcoin, so, so some of these yeah. extortions, and there's a lot of money being transferred. Yeah. So, you know, whereas 90, if 90% say no, there's still a 10% that are actually falling for this. Yeah, I know it's like, basically they got a script. And I know that uh, it's like years ago when you got this old... Uh, Fake African prince, Absolutely. Prince. They're just sophisticated versions of yeah. that. It's what's going on. The English is better. Yeah. You know, it's much better than it used to be. Um, it's, it is still heavily automated and it's done in a way that you get the biggest bang for your buck. So if you think about it, the criminals are trying to re- are trying to maximize their return on investment. So how do you do that? You do a you spend your time doing a targeted attack for a big heist where you're yeah. gonna get a lot of money, or you do lots of little things. Yeah. And this is why spamming and malware is still on the internet because you get a small bit of money from a very small number of attacks. But if you're doing a massive number of attacks, it's still well worth doing yeah. because it's heavily automated. Yeah, I saw where they go cartoon on, on Dilbert, and I had one the guy in the office who was getting bored, so he said, "I, I, I want to get some money from a sucker." And another person he emailed his boss to pretend yeah. to be his bank, asked him for his bank details, and the bank and the boss looks at him and goes. It's my bank. It must be true. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. I'll give me everything yeah. I want. And you're going to get that, lad. Well, no, it's very true. And, like, you know, and, 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 and it's becoming increasingly sophisticated. Increasingly, emails, you know, cra- they'll use, you know, communications that you would expect from Facebook or Microsoft or, or Apple from an iCloud perspective. And they look really, really good. You know, now they're doing something that if you really thought about it, you probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah. But they're taking, they're doing it through different channels. So Voice over IP and the internet opened another th- another piece where it's very easy for attackers to do mass phone calling of people. Yeah. So what they're doing, you know, there's been attacks, you know, and you, you look at the Garda Shiakana website, you'll see people talk, you'll see the guards warning about some of these attacks where, you know, basically they're auto-dialing numbers, they ring up, they get your mother on the end of the phone, you say you've got a problem with your computer, we need to get it fixed immediately, otherwise the computer will explode. You know, you need to give me your credit card details so I can get it done. Or they can say, I need you to install this piece of software so I can fix the issues on your computer. And then they're on and they're on to online banking. Now, that stuff is, that stuff is interesting, but that's not where the big money is. No, I've seen it before where my parents got a phone call when they was in the house and they rang up and they said, we've got a problem. And and, uh, my mum just put it over to me. So I was talking to Daniel Fine. He goes, yeah, we see this problem with your computer. Yeah. And we like talking and he says, can you, are you buying computers? Yeah, can you turn it on? I said, yeah, I'm turn it on. And I said, uh, do, do you see the Windows login? I said, uh, no, I don't see it. She said, I'm logging in. And I said, oh, I've came past it. I'm not logged in on my, my computer. You see a start button? Yeah. And I goes, no, I've got no start button. And he goes, what? I said, no start button. He says, well, I'm so-and-so from, from Microsoft. I'm here to help you. He says, why well, start button? I haven't got a start button on my computer. He says, why not? I'm on a Mac. Yeah. And the guy looked at me and said, I thought you were at Microsoft. And the guy put the phone in. He just hanging up. Yeah, yeah. I just spent yeah. enough time sticking along. I need for a fact what he was doing. So if I can... Do that. That's one of the attack he's going to make to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there were research projects on the internet where people have engaged 
you know, with people. In fact, there's, there's comedy routines where people have engaged with some of these guys <laughs> yeah. and had long drawn out conversations with them over a period of days and months, etc. And like people will see them, like people even in, even in a, in a, in a, in a ser- even in a service like something like Skype or WhatsApp, people get random messages of people yeah. and they try to engage with you. And ultimately, yeah. what they're trying to do is convince you to do something you shouldn't do. But there's a common, there's a common trend between both of these, whether it's a yeah. phone call or whether it's a phishing email. They're always trying to they're always trying to rush you. They're always yeah. trying to make you make a decision really quickly. And and a lot of companies fall for it. When we do our red teaming, we, we get a hundred percent success rate because we target it yeah. and, and, and it's a really useful exercise. And we always say to the companies, you know, it's, it's gotta be a no a zero blame culture because these things happen. Because these people are really good at 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 getting people's credentials and and yeah. but if you create this this no blame culture then people are honest about it say i, th- I think i clicked this link or mm. i think this happened and actually people start learning within yeah. the organization and look irish people are generally helpful yeah. which is a dangerous yeah. thing yeah. from a cyber perspective so they want to help you know you, and like as you said there's psychological pressure like the classic one the classic e- email phishing email you see is an email purporting to come from the ceo of the organization yeah. you're targeting an individual saying johnny i need this payment done i need it done quick we did an investigation a couple of years ago in the north of the country where it was a near miss cyber attack so it was basically a finance director had got a number of emails and communications from um, the cfo which tried to get him to make a transaction or to do a transaction and actually it it was it was a cloud based email Email provider it was Office 365. The Office 365 account of the CFO had been hacked, so they were basically sending and responding to email on behalf yeah. of the CFO. And uh, now, as it turns out, he didn't make the transfer. Um, we were interviewing him afterwards in terms of you know what's going on. Did you? Because that was a it was a real email. How did you know? I said to him. How did you know that one? Because it didn't look like a phishing yeah. email. It was actually quite smart because it was a payment they were making already. It was actually a small change in the account details. So not making the payment was quite smart. Yeah. And he turned around to me and said, well, look, he said, look at that email. He said, what do you see wrong with it? And he goes, you see that word? That guy never said please to me ever in his life. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, so, But it's that subtlety. And it's interesting that, you know, we talk about phishing attacks, but it's actually not the phishing attacks. It's the email compromises. Office 365, other cloud-based email systems are deployed wildly in the corporate yeah. world now. They're being compromised if they don't have two-factor up and running on them. So that's, you know, two-factor-based authentication where you've got something you have, which is your password, and some sorry, something that you know, which, are, which is your password, and then you need something you have, which is either a text message or a, or a notification on your phone, etc. And that will, will dramatically reduce the risk of those type of attacks, but many organizations just haven't deployed it yet because they don't know. Yeah, I got one of from, from Apple. Oh, yeah. It was telling me that my 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 iTunes account had to be password yeah. had to be changed. So I went and said, okay, I knew right away that the email was a real. So I clicked the link and opened up a new page, and the bottom was all these links to a different part of Apple, but they were just painted on JPEGs. You couldn't actually. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I said, okay, that's fine. Said, that's oh, a bad one. Yeah. That's a bad one because some people go to the trouble of making the links work. Yeah. You know, so if you, you're on you're on another page and they can actually you can obfuscate what's in the you yeah. know and there's actually. You can download bits of JavaScript on the internet with that. Well, basically, in many cases, allow you to rewrite what the what the user is seeing in the URL, yeah. or actually pop the screen up, make it bigger, and you've actually got another thing that looks like the where, where you type the URL. So there's very smart things you can do, but more often than not, as you said, they're not all that bloody smart at all. No, you know? and this one, the email, the website address they gave, I know, and you can tell by the way it was fake. If you looked at it properly, and you know, within two, within about ten seconds, that's not a proper Apple address. Yeah. But most guys won't even bother looking. They just get the emails, the urgency. I've got to fill this in. So they click it and it goes, okay, I've got to keep my details and change it. Yeah. Because they're worried they've been hacked and they don't want to. And also, if they're using their iTunes account for Apple Pay and everything else, they're worried about their credit details. Absolutely. I don't want someone doing that, so they're going to go and change it. So they go in and then it's too late. 
Yeah, but what they're doing is they're using people's fear of being cyber attacked yeah. to cyber attack them. Yeah. Which is, you know, there's an interesting PhD thesis in psychology in there. So. Yeah. So that's been a bit of a talk you're having tonight. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I first became aware of Meetup. I, I actually moved to Ireland in November. Yeah. And... Um, I, I, not because of Brexit, though. Not because of Brexit, <laughs> but it's, it's working out well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but the... Uh, yeah, so I just I use Meetup because I thought it was a really good. There's 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 lots going on in Dublin, and you can you can start to sort of network, meet people yeah. that you're interested with. And I started going to the Dublin Tech one, and I and I met Gavin who who runs it, and and they they host, it, it's tech, but they every now and again they they host a cyber one, right? yeah. and I did say to him I'd like to speak to it, speak on it at some point. But no, it's, it, I think it's just a really good. It's not the only one I go to. It's it. They're really, really good to, to yeah. get people together in terms of the interests. And, and you'll see, you know, we've got 100, 170 who've signed up for this. Now, the numbers will probably be about 70 or so. Yeah. But, but, you know, there are lots of young, enthusiastic people who, who are in cyber, want to get into cyber, want to learn more about cyber. So it's great. I think, I think it's a really, a really good, good way of, of, of people getting together and learning about these things. I guess basically they're learning from people know what's going on in the real world, the latest, latest trends of what's happening. Yeah, and like, look, you know, from, from so as a general perspective, the more general awareness there is around cyber, yeah. the better. You know, especially in the t- within the technology community, because often that's, you know, the technology community are within the front line of some yeah. of this stuff. In fact, you know, most security-related issues in software are created by members of the yeah. tech community. So if we could, we, could, we could help fix that, that would be great. But, uh, but I do think general awareness is important. And I think everybody who's, you know, interacts with computers from a day-to-day perspective needs to run cyber attacks. You, like, you, you're not going to go into a swimming pool if you can't swim. Yeah. You shouldn't go, you shouldn't, you shouldn't buy things online if you don't know about cyber attacks. Yeah. You know, so and it, it's as fundamental as that, really, you know. Like if you go to Amazon to Amazon and buy something, that really hasn't any way to do it. Absolutely, you know. So it's so you know people just need to be aware, and and part of it from our perspective, you know, is helping raise that level of awareness. Now, look, you know, purely selfishly, events like this for us are a good way of hiring new staff. Yeah, you get to know people. The more people, you know, the more graduates coming. There's a major challenge in the cyber industry about the availability of suitably skilled people. You know, organizations of all shapes and sizes are struggling with that. Yeah. They can't get people who understand how to deal with cyber attacks, both from a technology or a process or a people perspective. And the more people we can get into the industry, the better. And I'm thinking like two, three years ago, we had the uh, WannaCraft virus attack. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised how the HSC in Ireland managed to handle it very well compared to, compared to the HSC in the, the NHS in the UK. We yeah. seem to handle it very quickly. Um, no, I, I think I think that I think that's probably fair, and a lot of that is to do with how individual systems are yeah. configured, etc. You know, I, I think the HSEs, the the sorry, the um, the health service in the UK's challenge was very much that you know they'd all software installed, yeah. they had a very flat network architecture, so everything can see everything else. If the thing gets in, it's going to run through the place, and that's what it was designed yeah. for. You know, and for organisations of all shapes and sizes, you know, if you don't patch systems, you're going to have to get secu- You're going to have security issues. You know, as systems get older, they get more insecure. It's as simple as that. Yeah, but I was shocked because the industry in Ireland has seen it kind of backwards in a way at times. In fact, they're able to achieve come in and within the Absolutely. fix that I was thinking wow I'm impressed yeah. with that and in fairness to the HSC I think yeah. they've done a lot of work over the last number of years from a security perspective you know and now they have to deal with regulations like GDPR yeah. you know this pushes you in a direction in terms of you know trying to get security right and I think you know in fairness to the HSC I think they've they've gone through a process of digitization as well yeah. so in terms of you know increasing the level of computer use that they have and in fairness that's happened fairly recently so it means the technology is newer yeah. and therefore the technology is more secure yeah. but in fairness it was a good result for them 
Yeah, and I'm thinking that also with GDPR, I mentioned GDPR, that's probably been the biggest challenge you've had in the past five years, I'd say. Yeah, I think, like, from our perspective, you know, from a cyber security consulting perspective, GDPR is now part of everything we do. You know, whether it's, 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 it's pushing organizations to want to assess the security that they have yeah. or in the event of a data breach. So one of the key questions you ask when there's a cyber attack or data breach, is there personally identifiable information yeah. involved? You know, what we're finding is that when we do a data breach, the last step is we'll have identified potentially what was compromised. So what yeah. email accounts were compromised. Somebody's going to have to review them to see if there's personal data in there and then make a decision where they need to make a disclosure to the regulator or to your customers. Yeah. You know, and so that means GDPR is part of it all. So GDPR, there's no escape. Yeah, I guess. With your background, Ben, you used to be ex-ministry defence. That kind of helps as well because you know what you're dealing with good, good equipment. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that background is, you know... Secure. You have to you have to balance security with with actually yeah. convenience and, and and you know business still needs to run. So you so really you know I, the, the approach we always take is is what are the key what are the key what would you call in the military would call a mission thread. So yeah. so the, the military term was mission thread. So it could be anything. It would be search a search and rescue operation. Okay. So the pilot pilot's ejected. There's beacons going off saying where he is, and all that information needs to go to the right people to go and pick him up and rescue yeah. him. You know, we'd call that a mission threat. And then you'd look at the technology underlying, underpinning that, and then what are the vulnerabilities of that? Well, that can be translated absolutely perfectly into business. You, you know, we, we, we talk about the various businesses, we look at their mission threads, their key business processes, and what are the, what, what's the IT that underpins that, and how do we protect that? Yeah, and that's, that's the challenge for many organisations, is they don't actually understand what's important. So what are the key pieces of data within the organization? Obviously, since the days of GDPR, where's your personal data, your customer lists, all that sort of stuff. But what else is important? Is it your strategic plans? Is it the blueprints of the widgets that you make that makes them unique that maybe another nation state might or another competitor might want to get their hands on? Where is the value in your organization? And that's where you want to spend the money on your security defenses. And also, I guess, in the long-term development system with a a honeypot, or if you get some of that, you can eat them in, in, in a... In a sandbox was closed, yeah. kind of get out of. What's interesting with honeypots at the moment is traditionally a honeypot sat on the internet. Yeah. That's a bit pointless now because there's so much noise on the internet. It's like a storm yeah. all the time with cyber attacks. But what, what, what organizations are doing, particularly larger ones, are actually having internal honeypots. Yeah. So honeypots that exist within the organization that have what looks like interesting data because now increasingly organizations are treating their own networks as if they're a hostile network yeah. and being compromised. So that's a, that's a change that's happening now. and... We're not going to get time to talk about it now, but how how cybersecurity professionals and how you approach security is changing quite dramatically, from particularly from a technology perspective around there's so much of what you would regard as your infrastructure that you can't trust anymore. Yeah. So this whole, the, the, the armadillo principle doesn't work anymore. So the armadillo principle is um, crunchy on the outside and soft <laughs> in the middle. Yeah. That's the way network security was traditionally done. You can't do it like that yeah. anymore because your internal networks are too complicated. You've got contractors, you've got customers coming in. You don't know who's coming into your network. So you really need to be protecting the endpoints and protecting the information rather than trying to protect the whole thing. It's just not possible anymore. And in case you might use all data that's available for the honeypot. Potentially, yeah. You know, and you, you want to make a honeypot look as realistic as possible. Um, and you want to make sure, but what, what, it, what, and what does the honeypot do? Well, it tells you if there's someone there. Yeah. But it also gives you an idea of what are they actually after? What's their modus operandi? Yeah. What are they trying to do? What are yeah. they targeting? Because, you know, to use, the, to use the formal term, there's different threat actors. So there's different types of 
you know, people or groups that may want to get into your organization, depending on what industry you're in it, maybe is it competitors? Is it criminal gangs that want to sell your IP? Is it a nation state in certain yeah. industries? Like, and, 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 and Irish organizations go, Jesus, why would a nation state be interested in me? Well, if you're in the supply chain of a large multinational, of which we have many in this country, yeah. then a nation state might be very interested in using you to jump into the, into the, into the larger organization's network. You know, they might use you to target them. Like there's classic examples, like if you think about um, think about Home Depot, the famous Home Depot hack that, yeah. that started, you know, um, 20, 30, oh, sorry, four or five years ago. Um, and actually the Target hack, sorry. Yeah. Um, in fact, there were two very similar hacks, but the Target hack. How, how, how they originally got into the network in the Target hack was they didn't tar- target Target at all. They targeted a supplier to Target. They targeted a company called Fazio Electrical, who supplied air conditioning equipment yeah. to that for, for the Target shops. And Fazio Electrical were a small organization. They didn't even have antivirus. Yeah. So they managed to compromise them very easily. Okay? And then they realized that actually Fazio Electrical had a username and password combination that they used to log into a Citrix server sitting in Target's network. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they used that username and password to get onto the Citrix server. It was actually to get to an invoice. It was how Fuzzy Electrical actually built yeah. um, Target. They jumped into that, into the into Citrix infrastructure. They managed to break out of the infrastructure into the internal network. They went over, they spent six months traveling around the internal network until they'd mapped it out. They found the self-service payment machines mm-hmm. that sit in all the shops, which are basically just a Windows XP box with a, with, a, with, a, with a credit card scanner attached yeah. to them. They wrote custom malware. In fact, they got a third party to write custom malware for them, okay, because this is outsourced yeah. sophisticated supply chains. Um, and then those guys, they installed that software on the, on the um, self-service machines across thousands of shops. So every time someone scanned their card, just pulled the mag strip down through the device, um, it was gathered up, sent to a central piece, and then sent out of the network. You know, very, very straightforward. And interestingly, it wasn't actually discovered by Target. It was discovered because there's such an influx of credit cards that actually hit the uh, dark web. So much so that the uh, credit card price dropped by 50%. And actually, it's a really good example of of the benefits of pen testing. Because if if Target did actually do pen testing, they would have seen this ability to move laterally across. There's no reason in the world that you should move from a network that's controlling the heating and ventilation system to your point of sale. But yet that was allowed to happen. I knew a company years ago who had a computer system and it had an all software on a Windows 95 machine. Mm. And uh, it was linked to the network because people could access the, the machine for the software. Yeah. And uh, they got hacked because somebody had found there was no machine Windows 95 on there and yeah. they could get to that. And, and uh, people said, well, we didn't think it would be hacked. And so why was that yeah. network? Well, look, the standard thing, like the standard thing you do as part of a as part of a penetration test or a or criminals doing a cyber attack, you will look for systems that the organisation may not be there. You look to see if there's a test system or a development system put yeah. on the internet, because more often than not, that won't be patched or configured to the same level of security as the actual production system. And the thing with this system yeah. was there as long as they forgot it was there. Yeah. yeah. So when you get something like that lying around, or like I saw a couple of years ago when we were the, the one virus happened in the UK, and they were chatting to somebody on, on a on a Royal Navy ship and the background was computer when it went to the XP. I'm thinking, how can you trust the military in the UK when you got one XP running in the background? Yeah, Ben, do you want to comment on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the, the no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the challenge is, and often you get air gap networks as well, but and like the actual classic one 
you know, going out try outside the military is industrial control systems. Yeah. But you get a lot of in the manufacturing industry. So these are systems, you know, basically IT systems that connect to pieces of machinery yeah. that make widgets or cut metal or whatever, or control dams, yeah. or more interestingly, or control pipelines. Um, and traditionally, um, the IT systems, which are the same as we use in the normal IT industry, are you know configured in such a way that you, you configure them once they do what they do and you never change them. Yeah. So what happens is you get really old pieces of software with lots of security vulnerabilities. And now there's a trend towards, well, look, if I have a machine that makes shoes, I'd love to be able to take on-demand orders off my website yeah. to make the shoes. So I'd like to connect my website, very simply, to the shoe-making machine. Yeah. So that means now my, net, my standard networks needs to be able to connect to my SCADA network or yeah. my industrial control system network. And this thing is not designed to be connected to the rest of the world. Yeah. And you, see sim- you saw similar types of issues in the telecommunication industry in you know, the early 2000s when they started rolling out GD, uh, 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 2G Wi-Fi access when yeah. everything became IP-based. Yeah. Um, you're getting it now in the medical device industry where you know, your heart monitor or your pacemaker is going to be on Wi-Fi and have an IP address. Yeah. So all, and, we're get, and we're also seeing it in the car industry. When your car is always on, it's connected, it's got, IP address, it's got an IP address. So all the security issues that we see on IP networks in the IT industry are now moving into other industries. And it always takes them a while to catch up. So if you're a spy and I want to kill somebody and you look at the pacemaker, you just do that instead. You just hack absolutely. into it. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's what people and, are doing. And, and, and that's a challenge. And it's interesting. There's, you know, within the US at the moment, HIPAA and places like that have developed standards around security for yeah. medical devices. And there's increasingly regulatory processes you have to go through with the device before they will before they will let you, they will basically let you put it into a person. Yeah. You know, so, but this is not something that the people who make medical devices are necessarily going to understand too well. So they're all about functionality. I need to make sure it beeps so the person yeah. doesn't die. What they don't think about is, well, how do I protect against unauthorized access to this device? And that's where, you know, and it's a wider, you know, security of Internet of Things. Everything's going to have an IP address. Yeah. So that means everything can be hacked. I know that if you're, if you're in the house and you've got a, you got a toaster, or, or yeah. that's the first thing to look for is that or a smart fridge. Yeah. And also, if you're looking for, like, in Dublin City, we've got smart cities. The first thing you go for is smart bins. If you can get into those, they're going to be locked into somewhere. Once you're in there... Well, it's always yeah. going to be the case, and, and, and certainly is for business. Yeah. The hacker's always going for the, for the, you know, the low-hanging fruit. But, but, but it's, it's interesting you see it, and you're seeing it. There's been some examples in the U.S. at the moment of local governments being the victims mm. of ransomware attacks. Yeah. And in some cases, they've paid quite substantially, yeah. as in the millions of dollars, um, ransoms to these ransomware attacks to get their data back. Yeah. Because one, you know, it's critically important. You can't run the city without the IT yeah. stuff. But two, it's very easy because there hasn't been investment. The systems haven't been kept up to date. So the cyber attack is actually, in many cases, relatively straightforward. Yeah, I'm thinking of you might, might get a new version of Stuxnet that could attack well you could yeah and like you know and like there's an, and, and it's interesting that you mentioned Stuxnet you know Stuxnet is seen is almost seen although I don't believe that it is the first example of a targeted attack yeah. by a nation state from another nation state from a cyber perspective but I think what you're what you're you're going to see more and more of that but we're seeing now leaks from nation states of cyber attack tools yeah you know so we saw recently or over the last two years or so in the US where you know espionage or military grade cyber tools have got into the public domain so basically they're just handing out large bazookas to everybody yeah. from a cyber yeah. perspective and they're being yeah absolutely they're being developed and exploited in the world I guess some kids are trying to think that if, if they release these like a, it's like a mutual destruction if everyone's got them 
been the worst ever place. That's probably their view, like Nick Reppens. We've all got them. Yeah, mutually, assur- mutually assured destruction. Yeah. I'm not sure the gaming exercises that they went through from a nuclear war perspective apply directly yeah. to the cyber world. But uh, I think that, again, I think there's a PhD thesis in it, at least. Yeah. And anything else with that podcast? Um, no, I, I think, you know, like, uh, I think what, what, what I find interesting is, is the general level of awareness and people wanting to learn from the tech world around cyber is definitely increasing, which can yeah. only be a good thing. You know, I think events like the event tonight are a really good way of raising the general cyber awareness within the tech industry, which is a different thing from the general yeah. awareness because, you know, tech technology professionals are, you know, at one sense, if you're a developer, you're on the front line of making sure the code is secure, you know, and I think the more people are interested and the more they hear, one, the more cyber professionals you will get, which I think is something that Ireland and we need internationally. Yeah. And the second one is raising the general level of awareness is really important as well. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, when I, when I tell my friends and, 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 and colleagues, you know, colleagues who work in other parts of Grant Thornton, what we do, you know, it really does, it, there are interesting stories, interesting stuff and, 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 and the stuff, you know, I'm, I'm generally proud of the stuff we do because we are we are making organisations safer. Yeah, and picture like the modern day Bond saving the world, but in a different way. And no one knows you're doing this. Yeah, I must tell my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. All right, thanks. Cheers. Thanks for that. Perfect. Never-